Welcome to the Pantheon Plus Rewind. Hey there, welcome to episode 24 of the Rewind. This is a podcast that's all about what's going on with Pantheon Rise of the Fallen, the upcoming MMORPG by Visionary Realms, and the community that's following its development. So if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We had a huge week last week with our uh, pre-Alpha 5 story, and we had over like 120 people hanging out during the chat, during the uh, YouTube premiere. It was amazing. And if that's the episode that brought you to this show, I could not be happier. But we're also not going to sit back and just rest on our laurels because we got to keep moving forward on the journey towards launch. And as always, joining joining me on that journey is fresh off his epic story, my traveling companion, Minus. How are you doing, man? Doing good, man. Doing good. Yeah, last week was nuts. Um, You know, we had uh, probably more people in that live premiere for the rewind than maybe we've ever had in Pantheon plus you. I mean, we might've had a couple more than that when Joppa was there, but that's pretty crazy, man, to think that, you know, 24 episodes in, you know, we're seeing a lot of success and having a lot of fun with the community with the rewind. It's, it's really rewarding. Like I thank you to everybody who came and listened. And I, I hope some of you guys are sticking around to join us for the future premieres and hang out with us and kind of share what you're thinking, because that's what this show is all about. Right. Um, That being said, outside of that, um, you know, yeah, like you said, let's get moving, get back into the flow here, get the information when you typically get out. And let's not talk about football, Theric, uh, at all, actually. <laughs> um, $150 uh, in the hole. Uh, my team lost. Uh, but hey, you mm-hmm. had a good week. You had a good week. I had a good week. Yeah, I was I was hoping for the trifecta where we had a great rewind. My team won and your your team won, but we weren't quite that lucky so um, well, that's, uh, I'm that's hoping, being a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, yeah, it's usually it's being a Bears fan, too. But <laughs> we got a little gift from uh, from the gods on that one. And uh, hopefully this week goes better for both of us. All right. So you ready to jump into this? Yeah, let's roll on this week in Visionary Realms news and notes. All right. We're back this week talking VR in social media recap. And we're going to start with Twitter. Um, and they had a great question that, uh, I think within like an hour, 90 people responded to this one, which is pretty funny. Um, so they said in one word, your thoughts on in-game flying. Now I could have just read everybody's and just went, no, 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 no. This person said no, uh, because that was pretty much the vibe, but let's go ahead and read (laughs) some of them. So Basgrim said, no, let's <laughs> so start with that. Uh, Militus uh, said trivialization. Mm-hmm. It's funny. That's an easy word. Like I know the word. It's hard for me to say. I don't know what's wrong with my face. Like that I can't mm. say things. You need to work on that a little bit. Maybe you need to do some exercises or something. I don't know. But uh, trivialization is a good one. A lot of people have a hard time with these because sometimes they do these one word answers, right? And mm. a lot of people just sort of ignore it and they're like, whatever, I'm just going to go off and say my bit, right? 240 characters later. But trivialization is pretty good when you can come up with that one perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Alicera said IDK. Um, That's (laughs) technically three words, but she does have the thinking emoji. So she gets points there. Clever. Uh, Chobinhood said no. So he did his one word answer, but then he did go into an explanation. He said, we'll already have ports from druids and wizards for fast travel in quotes. Flying mounts may be slower than instantly teleporting to an area, but it still removes the social interaction and reliance on community. Uh, Nate W. said no. <laughs> <laughs> to elaborate, flying in WoW terms basically ruins the social aspects of the game. Guild Wars 2 had a very interesting mount system, but it's not specific to just flying. 
taxi staff flying would be suitable and not game breaking. Hmm. Pizzazz says depends as a mount. No, as a set form of taxi travel. Yes. So we're seeing kind of few people throwing that taxi travel out there. A little, little down the middle. Some, not everybody's a hundred percent. No, some people have some exceptions and we'll see. DPW says no, usually makes the game uh, world feel small and not dangerous. Uh, Shady Silhouette says mistake. <laughs> and uh, Drac had, in my opinion, the best answer to all of it. He literally screen clipped Joppa talking in our chat from an old episode of Pantheon Plus U. And yep. he has it. He just put at Joppa VR and then the picture. And it says, <laughs> Joppa says, as long as I'm here, Pantheon will never have flying mounts. So, <laughs> so there's your answer. <laughs> you know, that was a really good way to just uh, boom. There you go. And that question kills him. Drop the mic. Drop the mic on that one. Yeah, without a doubt. So there were there were probably like, like you said at the time like 90 posts, and it blew up way bigger than that. And literally 70 out of those 90 just simply said the word no. Um, and I I tend to agree with that uh, pretty pretty heavily actually. See, the thing for me is if you're building a dangerous world and you've made climbing this key part of the adventure in the game, flying negates both of those things. Like the dangerous world, you skip it. And like climbing would instantly become useless if you could just fly. Like, Why would you even climb? It it wouldn't matter. Um, You know, flying over content that you'd otherwise have a way to like find a way around or fight through or to get to where you're going is sort of that key piece of the dangerous world. And if you can fly, like I said before, like you're not going to climb. Like that's the biggest part of this. <laughs> I think yeah. um, I think there's a value in some sort of taxi service personally, um, but it would have to be slow um, mm-hmm. or just like the the route is stupid, right? Like you go in a huge circle <laughs> to get to like straight ahead. Um, but as far as player flying, like I, I'd have to, I'm really with the majority here. Um, it's yeah. just too, the word I used and I put a parenthesis so that it would work. Um, was counterproductive. Um, so that's where I'm at. Um, I, I can't think that you would be different, but, but what's your thoughts here? No, I'm not very different. It's, um, you know, I think it would undermine, like you said, counterproductive. I think the word is undermine. It would undermine their whole design philosophy if they did this. And I, I don't think, I didn't read all the responses, but I don't think there were hardly any people that said yes to this. I mean, we have flying mounts in so many other games and it, it really, we, we've come to learn sort of the pros and cons pretty well. Um, and I think, you know, Joppa's position is pretty strong. I actually had this in here and then, and then you added Drax response later. So I was like, oh yeah, exactly. Right. That's exactly what it should be. Um, you know, it's a, it's about keeping the world feeling big, making exploration like a long-term goal, right? Like don't, don't take out exploration with, through this, through this means of doing it. Um, you know, and I had an idea though, and let me just throw this out there and see what you think, because it's sort of, I don't know, off the, off the cuff, but what if they did put in flying mounts and they populated the sky with like dangerous monsters or something like that? Or what if like when you took flight, it meant there was like a chance you'd be randomly struck by lightning or something (laughs) like if it didn't trivialize the content so drastically, would it be more palatable? Right. What if there was some risk involved? So, you know, you could sort of, you could lower that travel time that i think you know that's why they put mounts in to get people from point a to point b quicker but you still made it somewhat risky would that make it more okay do you think what do you think i don't i mean because like if you say you had to climb like a decently high ledge and it took a majority of your stamina to get up there and do it um and you could just 
hop on your mount, fly up real quick and land before there's any risk of danger. Now I just climbing again, like, you know, we talked about climbing a little bit, um, even last week when we were talking about the, uh, PA five experience and, you know, there's so many people who have dubbed it to be gimmicky and the way that it is right now in the game, I do not believe it's gimmicky at all. I think it's a key component you know, mm-hmm. Joppa's um, really into like the Zelda games, right? In the newer Zelda mm-hmm. game, climbing was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And if you could just skip all that with flying real quickly, like it just doesn't make sense to me. It, it, it doesn't make sense to how the game's being designed. We've seen zones reworked for climbing. Um, yeah. I just, I don't think flying has any place in Pantheon, even in future expansions. I got to be honest with you. You know, what's interesting about that, actually, you bring up the Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild it doesn't have flying. It has gl- has gliding though, right? So mm. what the attraction, and the reason climbing in that game is one of the reasons it's so cool is because you can get up real high. There's some towers and there's some points in the world that are just so high above the, the, the rest of the world that when you jump off and you glide, you can get some, you know, you can cover some pretty good ground. And, you know, if you know some of the, if you've upgraded your gear to a certain extent, you can get further. And if the winds are prevailing in a certain direction, you can get further. So it's kind of an interesting thing because that game doesn't do it per se, but it does give a little bit of that feeling to it. So, um, you know, you can do climbing with something like that. But I, again, I think you're right. I mean, in this, in, in Pantheon, the way that we've seen it, um, it's not something that would, you know, it wouldn't function the same way. And it, it would, if you put in mounts, flying mounts or anything even sort of like that, I think it would uh, undermine that system quite a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's not a horrible idea though, because you can't just glide from the ground. So you'd have to find a place to climb and that's where climbing skill would really come into play. That would even maybe emphasize climbing more if you did have some sort of like glider, you know, don't Mm -hmm. make it crazy that you could glide across the whole world or something, but you know, (laughs) it's actually a pretty interesting thing to to think about. Like even if it was tied into like the stamina bar, then Mm -hmm. like that would be cool. Like you climb up, you rest for a little bit, then you can glide, but you got to know that you got to start aiming yourself down as that, you know, as your bar's running out, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, that could yeah. actually get you into more trouble than not. It totally does. And yeah. in Breath of the Wild, it totally does get you in trouble a lot of the times because you, you know, you run out of stamina and you just plummet to your death and, or you land in a spot where you didn't intend and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and we've seen those artifacts, some of the artifacts, remember that um, Skyhold Grappler, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't know what it does exactly, but there are tools that they've hinted at that can help with, you know, some of the mechanics. So who knows, you know, who knows what the future holds, but um, in terms of flying mounds, as we know them now, you know, that's not something that's going to happen according to Joppa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But look at that. See, see, people on Twitter just can just say no almost 90 to a hundred times and we can still get a conversation out of it. So that's, that's so why I go. enjoy doing this with you there. Yeah. Nothing's black. <laughs> nothing's black and white, man. We nothing, can always find nothing. that gray area. <laughs> um, so let's jump to the next thing they did. So they, this is really huge and I just want to thank uh, visionary realms for us, but they actually shared out our rewind episode and uh, a forum post that was linked to it to, to talk about it more and in more depth. And that was really cool. And uh, I mm-hmm. just wanted to take some time because there were some comments across uh, various forms of social media that I'd love to read. And this is, please, if you're listening, don't think this is like us patting ourselves on the back, but it's interesting to see what people take away from it. And I think that if you're not reading these different social media posts, you know, if you're just listening to the rewind, I think there's some value here to see like what a story can mean. And it doesn't have to be our story. It could be, you know, your story. It could be whoever gets to tell the story later, whoever gets to stream the game, but like what impact it has on people who are waiting for more. 
So I'm mm-hmm. going to share some stuff here. There's a, there's a little bit of text. I'm going to try to get through it as quick as possible here. But um, Hokanu said, uh, I'm guessing this is open to discuss now that you've officially released it. The part of Minus's story was that it was all about Pantheon features leaning heavily into a highly social experience is probably the most ex- exciting thing I've heard about the game this year. All the little features that people have doubted would create the need for social interaction have been reported by Minus to be doing exactly that, that it sounds in a pretty free, pretty wonderful and organic way. I was super pumped by his breakdown. So thank you for that. That's awesome. I'm happy that the social aspects came through on that. Um, Risky Bisky says, um, honestly, it's made me pretty excited uh, to that regard. Um, and he's kind of responding. He says, the fact that there would be social elements of the game already was the reason why I put a pledge down for the game initially. Now that there was a more organic content creator view that has shown this feeling of community, it makes me feel like putting down more. And he says, I honestly can't wait until the NDA is up. So some folks will be able to talk even more. And that's kind of what I was just hinting at. Like people want more. They don't, don't just want my story. They want any stories. They want more details. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, that's one of the consistent threads through all these that I've seen as well. Yeah. Uh, Stonefish, who's actually, I think you read a forum post from him the other day. Yeah, um, he actually said, uh, this was a great story and he was happy to hear a few things. Uh, number one, he highlighted that there was no map and communication that was needed to gather. And we were using landmarks and a compass instead. He said, two, adventure had discovery woven in. Three, we had fun. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, four, they died in multiple ways. So I kind of yeah. like how he pulled away those things uh, and kind of gathered those little things that were important to him, you know, from a standpoint of what he wanted in the game. So really, yeah, really new cool. ways of new ways of dying is always something that I look for in <laughs> yeah. a good experience. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, Anadak. I'll go with. Um, He said he finds it quite interesting that they talked about guiding by landmarks and compass. It's another person there that, you know, the difference Mm -hmm. between having a map or not. He said we'd been told in the past there would be a forward slash LOC for location as indicators uh, for the group panel showing which direction group members are in. Um, Have those features been removed? Uh, There might have been a location I never tried. Um, Were they just trying to be active more for the PA5 shakeout or were they not there? So just interesting that that is, again, the landmark compass and, you know, the lack of a map stood out to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Menoak says that, uh, let me see here. It says, although it seems trivial, I mean, there's nothing new about a bear, but (laughs) it is new in the world. And if you've never seen one in that world you're in, it's exciting, basically, he says. He mm-hmm. says he remembers when he saw an, saw an elephant the first time in South Karana and it was just magical, <laughs> right? I, I remember that too. That, that is a good memory. <laughs> and he says it kind of also enforces the whole we build worlds tenant of Pantheon, right? So like yeah. people are going to learn from different landmarks and animals and learn the world from their perspective. And then it'll kind of appear, you know, new, you know, mm-hmm. when they're, when they're out there and, and, you know, seeing things like a griffin and, and things like that, yeah. you know, it's just kind of neat. To- yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say going to different places, like you know, you 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 get used to one area and what's around there, and then you go to a different area and there's new, you know, creatures running around, and then it's that, that constant sense of what's around the next corner, right? Like what's what's over there, what's over there. That people love that. I love that. Yeah. Disposalist, who's also been featured quite a bit on our show, says the other aspect, of course, is not being forced to do anything. He says, minus experience the keeper storyline, but also just adventured and the story evolved on its own. He could have known all the lore or not known anything. Uh, and it still would have been able to be that same sort of adventure is what mm-hmm. he's saying. 
He says he loves VR's attitude towards this. We want to know the lore and the whys and wherefores. Be a keeper. Talk to NPCs. Do tasks, quests. You just want to kill stuff with your friends, enjoy the loot and progression. You can do that too. And you're going to have the same adventure, he says, right? So Mm -hmm. really, really cool point there too that, you know, you can play it a few different ways and you can kind of quench the thirst for maybe what you have specifically for Pantheon. Exactly. And that goes back to what somebody else was saying about hearing other people's stories, right? You know, somebody else would tell a different story, but it could be just as exciting, even though they did something completely different. For sure. So a couple uh, other comments that stood out from other social media. So on our YouTube channel, we had a couple that that were really cool. Uh, Wicked, he said, uh, he has to say, first listening to your story gave me flashbacks in my first days logging into EQ. No map, just a compass, markers to see where you were. Um, the excitement of exploration pushing you forward to see what's around the next corner or over the next hill. Uh, so, you know, another person who was, mm-hmm. that's kind of crazy. Cause honestly, I, we, and we talked about this on uh, Pantheon plus you the other night is like, I wasn't somebody who was like anti-map, like when everybody got real anti-map and didn't, I was just like, okay, whatever, like either <laughs> way is fine by me, but having experienced it, it's really interesting what it did for me. And I just, I guess I never realized how much of an impact not having markers in a, in a map you're just looking at to go find somebody like how yeah. much that meant for exploration. Yeah. It's really easy to sort of, it's really easy to take it for granted and to forget what it is not to have it. I know we've played games where there hasn't been one and I'm constantly hitting the M key, right? <laughs> I'm like, bring up the map. Where's the map? And it's like, Oh, there is no map. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Talk about muscle memory, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a couple more, one from Twitter here from Dave Pryor. He said he really enjoyed the rewind. He got rather emotional as we were recounting the experience. Says Pantheon will be a lot more than just another game for so many of us. It's such a relief that the promises are being fulfilled. Thank you and thank you to uh, Pantheon MMO. It was awesome. Really, I, I just love the fact that it took him back, you know, yeah. to to something he, he remembered and a feeling he was looking forward to. And yeah, then a couple, a couple from Reddit here. We had a uh, world's greatest CEO. <laughs> he put a uh, great story. Thanks for sharing. And then he kind of said, this is interesting. And I brought this up because I was going to comment on this. So the biggest concern from it is simply should a level four group be able to take down a level nine to 10 boss uh, like we did. So I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, I probably should have said this when I recapped and I'm going to say it now, you know, obviously there's a lot of tuning that happens during these pre-alpha phases. And a lot of the reason we're testing is to do tuning. So my guess is a couple of things. One, it will be tuned. So it's probably a little bit harder than, than we had. And don't get me wrong. It was hard. Um, but keep in mind too, that we had said social aggro was off. So you know, we were able to pull one mob at a time pretty much everywhere, which made it a lot easier. If we weren't able to do that, that would have been much more difficult, maybe even impossible to do some of the stuff we did. So there were some things that, you know, weren't enabled or weren't balanced yet that allowed us to do it. But at the same time, uh, it was my belief that that area was more made for a smaller group anyway. So it's play is going to matter. Like it's not just levels, it's play, it's how you do it. But yeah, I think some things were to our advantage in that situation. So yeah, that social aggro is, is a huge thing. I mean, it can't, you can't understate that, right? Like that's what got us killed in EQ so many times, right? That extra unintended pull, (laughs) you know, the uh, stuff like that. And we, we've seen it in Pantheon streams. Like 
Yeah. They'll be fighting something. They pull one more mob and it's, it's game over. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, commercial employer four. So we had the world's greatest CEO and now we have commercial employer four, which is kind of funny. What's going on here? What I don't company? know. Um, he says Pantheon is sounding more and more like a virtual homage to Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. Uh, in between play sessions, everybody involved brainstorms on how events could have transpired differently, debating why it was the case and developing a better strategy for the next encounter. I loved that comment. Um, mm-hmm. You know me, Therica. We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about like MMOs and I've always said like it, it comes down to what that experience was like. It started at playing D&D with your friends at a table and saying this would be really cool if we were in the world and could see our character. And that's what that's what MMOs came from. I, I just feel like that's been the path we've been on for 30 years, right? Trying to find the ultimate D&D experience, right? And we <laughs> always thought it would be better once we had better computers. But it turns out it's not about having a better computer, right? It's about getting closer to that core of what that experience was. Yeah. And then the last one here is from uh, Bison ST. He says, uh, well, that was a cool story. I like the bit about the ledge in the tunnel. In other MMOs, it's obvious where you can go or there would be gimmicky fake walls you run through. But in Pantheon, a little awareness on the player's uh, part kept the adventure going, and he can't wait for beta. So, just yeah. it's just really cool hearing how people connected with the story we put out there on last week's rewind, and we just received overwhelming support—not just for the content, but for what VR is doing. And honestly, that means a lot more to me because that's really our goal here at Pantheon Plus. Like, we want to fairly and honestly cover the game, its progress, and hopefully build on the community's excitement. Like, that's the end of the day. That's mm-hmm. it, man. That's um, right. Right. So to hear people who are encouraged to pledge up their pledge or consider putting eyes back on Pantheon because of this story, it's just awesome. And personally, Mm -hmm. I just I can't wait to get to tell more stories in the future and and stream and do crazy fun stuff just to make people laugh. Like, it's just going to be such a fun time. But uh, I've talked a lot on this. Uh, What are your (laughs) thoughts? Uh, well, you know, that it's all great feedback and I agree and I won't, uh, over, I won't restate some of the stuff, but one of the consistent themes that I said earlier, and another one that I saw is how we presented the information. Like when you strip away all the visual, all the audio, all the UI elements that we, you know, as gamers have become trained to focus on what you're left with is what really matters, right? That core experience. And I think that's what resonated with people. And the other thing, the, the feedback part of it too, is that the feedback is more refined. So instead of like, you know, getting feedback about low polygon trees or, you know, animation inconsistencies and that kind of stuff, we heard things about combat balancing and some things about the perception system. And I, I know VR values that greatly, right? Because that's, that's just, it's awesome feedback and it's critical. And, you know, like I said, it was a fun week. I can't wait till we get to do this again. And I remember I messaged you, you know, shortly before or after the show, I think. And I said, man, when the game launches, we have to do a segment on the rewind called weekly adventures or something like that. Right. How fun would that be? (laughs) You know, where we can tell a little story every week like this. So. Yeah. And uh, Bronson, who's a great community member, he's playing a rogue too. And we've already talked about doing like strip down from our armor, put all our bags and see how deep we can sneak into different places. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'll be fun. Oh yeah. I lose all my experience all the time. Um, Yeah, that'd be fun. (laughs) (laughs) So the last piece um, of news and and not going too, too crazy into this, but uh, Chris uh, Joppa Perkins was in a PAX panel. So if you missed this, it was the, the title of the panel was the future of online games. So it was, uh, I think it was on Tuesday night. It was released in which uh, Joppa joined a panel featuring, uh, and if I'm butchering these names, I'm sorry, 
Uh, Stephen Sharif from Ashes of Creation, John Smedley, who a lot of people know from his days at EQ. He's now one of the heads of Amazon Game Studios. And we had uh, J. Todd Coleman, who is uh, part of Crowfall and I think back in the day did Shadowbane. So this wasn't like something you're going to watch to get more beans about Pantheon. But what I do think it did is help us step even for further forward. Like, so we had this, the PA stuff, and now we have this. Um, just to kind of really build confidence in exactly what Visionary Realms is trying to do and what they're building. You know, Joppa talked about what's important about building a game, what he feels was lost along the way, what the future may look like. It even talks a little bit about cross-platform gaming, but I think a lot of Pantheon fans will be excited <laughs> to know he pretty much shut down Pantheon being a cross-platform yes. game. I was um, very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's worth a listen, and I think Joppa and Sharif came off very, very well. I think if you watch it, those two seem to be the most respectful, the most thoughtful. And when they spoke, like I was kind of hanging on their words about, you know, what they thought of the genre and, and where it is right now. So we do have it in the links below under VR news and notes. You can check that out. But uh, Theric, did you watch this? Like, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I did watch it and it was certainly worth my time. Um, and we actually had a good little conversation going in discord while we were watching it, sort of commenting on it. Um, and you know, after watching it, there was one thought that kept going through my mind. Um, and it's the belief that it's not about making the biggest game. It's about making the best game, right? Mm. So you could tell in this panel, you know, what the guiding vision was for the game from the different uh, panelists, you know. Um, and some are guided by different visions and, and not a vision of how successful the game will be, but how the game will look, what it will be like, like what kind of game they're making. And I think if you watch the panel, there is a stark contrast about who's guided by which vision. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to go, you know, negative or anything like that. I, I love what Joppa said. I think he's, I think he's, you know, it's, it was no surprise to hear him um, present the way he did. Um, the title of the panel, The Future of Online Games, I think it speaks volumes to how we, as the market for these games, like we have a say in what the future looks like, you know, what vision do we support through our time and our money? Right. And, and I'll leave it at that, but I think your assessment minus, um, you know, Joppa and I think Steven Shreve came off um, as well, very well. So, but, um, it was, it was a good panel. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. And anyone out there? No, I'm, I'm no ashes fan. Like I'm not a guy who's going to be, you know, campaigning for ashes. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't even see myself playing it if it launches or when it launches, like it's, it's one of those games that again is just so ambitious that it has like 7,000 things layered into it. It's a very <laughs> different game from Pantheon. But again, watching that for the hour that it was on, I thought he really did a great job. Like, so, I mean, if, if you're a fan of that game, it sounds like you have a guy like we have for Pantheon in Joppa. And mm -hmm. um, that's exciting to hear because again, I, I don't think me or you, Theric, are really rooting for any game to fail. We want to see as many of these no. games succeed as we can. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I want people to have a game that they enjoy playing and I, I just think it's really interesting when you see the differences between the visionaries, you know, mm -hmm. so to speak. And the corporate guys. <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh, what yeah, you're well, I know I, what you're exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm holding back. I don't want to, I don't want to critique too harshly, but um, you know, praise Joppa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank well, God for Joppa. <laughs> well, that's it for VR news and notes. When the Pantheon community speaks, we listen. So let's dig into social media and see what the discussion is all about. Okay. So this week for uh, the community discussion, I want to dig into something that was talked about on the most recent um, VIP uh, developers roundtable from August, which was released to the public uh, earlier this week. In the discussion, one of the, um, one of the main points that was covered uh, was the uh, NPC faction system in Pantheon. 
And I, it, it came up a lot. And here's a short sort of synopsis of what we learned in that developer's roundtable before we get to the discussion. So here's what Jabba said. He said, quote, pretty nice depth of faction ties exists. Any, NPC, any given NPC could have multiple factions, which they're aligned with, multiple factions they're at war with. How you interact with that NPC could alter your faction on many different fronts. You can actually declare war on a faction and essentially make yourself able in doing so to attack those things. End quote. So, that, so that's what Joppa said. He went on to talk about basically how they have to make it work, like what it is, um, like what is and what isn't an attackable NPC in the game within their um, offensive and defensive targeting system. So if you're like neutral or above, you can't attack them by right clicking on them. But you would be able to see that faction in the UI and you can choose, like he said, to declare a war on them, which would enable you to then attack them. He described it as a solution that gives the players agency while still allowing interaction with non-hostile NPCs. And Joppa noted they have to be careful, though, in allowing sort of how you do this, because if you can become friendly with any faction, you'll basically you'll trivialize a lot of content, right? You don't want to be able to do that. So this was a good topic, and, and uh, our friend Nafal picked up on this in the uh, forums and posted a topic talking about this. And he was basically using this as a base to go about evolving. Like, what's the evolving the process through which we uh, change factions? How do we do that? And it's basically to move beyond simple slaughtering of one group to raise faction with another. Here's, here's how Nafel uh, stated it. He said... Quote, if we want faction to really stay meaningful in Pantheon long term, there needs to be more to gaining faction than simply killing things to move your numbers up. Adventuring should be part of the process for sure. But mindless slaughter should only get you so far. Therefore, I would propose the following basic system for gaining Pantheon, a gaining faction in Pantheon. So number one, killing only gets you so far. When you're just starting out and stand, uh, standing with a particular faction, killing is a viable strategy, but only to a point. Uh, slaughtering someone's enemies might get them to start talking you talking to you, but it will not make them trust you on its own. Number two, what have you done for me lately? If you want to keep building your faction, uh, you will have to undertake tasks for that faction. At first, these might be simple things. After all, nobody trusts you with anything that's actually important. But as your standing gets higher, you have to take on greater challenges to keep proving yourself and raising your standing. And then thirdly, prove your allegiance. At some point, the faction you're working on is going to ask you to prove yourself, probably with a task that's not very easy. They may send you to wipe out a hated enemy, recover a precious item, or do something else like that. Whatever it is, be assured that the risk will be extremely high, as well as the consequences you may face with other factions for doing it. Choose wisely because the faction giving you the task may not even expect you to succeed. But if you do, perhaps they will finally trust you as one of their own. So I love the way Nafel posts. He writes in such a storytelling kind of way. I always yeah. enjoy re- reading like his stuff. Like choose your own adventure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's very like very deep with this stuff, and I love it. So um, here's what the community had. They had some interesting thoughts about it. Um, the first person said yes to one and two, but not to three. So that was the one where like the last step where you have to like prove your allegiance. So the person said, uh, the architecture does not fit uh, standing with a faction. It's more of a progression within an order. Faction is something semi-passive. It's how you're perceived by others through your actions, but not through what they asked you to do. It always felt strange. You could just sort of grab faction quests in games. Not something you would do to increase your standing towards people, but if you were in a rank or in an order or something like that, yes, then you would. Um, Emlar said, faction is supposed to reflect your behavior towards a given community. I, I agree with you. Killing zillions of Coldane dwarves doesn't make you in any way a frost giant friend. 
the mechanisms behind factions should reflect your overall behavior, not only your local behavior. Instead of designing a faction as a siloed ranking where increase and decrease is made on specific actions, I would suggest making faction related to moral values. Every quest and some killings should be morally traits oriented. Each NPCs could favor certain levels of moral traits and despise others. Uh, Chenzim said, if I ask you to do something for me and you do a good job, then you'll be looked upon more favorably by myself and anyone I, and anyone I choose to tell. I think the killing side of factions should be kept to a minimum and that deeds are undertaken to be things that progress your level in the various societies and factions. As long as there are lots of interwoven factions, I can see this being a very interesting system to be involved with. Uh, Dorothy said, actions should have consequences and some things should be irreversible. You shouldn't ever be able to fully recover from causing a faction to truly hate you. Maybe you can raise your hate to mistrust so you aren't kill on sight, but no further than that. No one truly trusts or loves a traitor, even if their faction with that, uh, even if their faction, the traitor has benefited. Uh, Stonefish is the last one, and it's one of the posters you read earlier. He said, what about flags at levels of faction that cause permanent standing? Thus, ensuing, ensuring a faction never forgives your past actions and has a consequence for your true path through the world. If you want to try and play both sides, you better be slippery and never go too far in either direction. Risk is high that someone becomes an outcast in large parts of the world. So those are the responses from the community and uh, some good stuff there and a couple different points. I really enjoy the last two ones about being careful and playing the faction system because the potential for an irreversible standing comes up. And I saw this discussed a couple other places. And it was kind of like people are like, so people are, yes, no, you should always be able to repair your faction. I think it adds some really interesting considerations for like when you're making these choices. Now, if you combine like Nafel's ideas and then you've with that, you've got a really evolved faction system, I think. And I love that VR is like leaning into NPC factions like this because I think um, it really does add a lot of depth to the game. And, you know, I can't wait to, like, declare war on supposed friends of mine. Like, so if I'm playing an elf, you know, and I decide the Spriggan are, you know, better off as kindling than, than creatures, I can go up to them, you know, and instead of right-clicking and having a conversation, I can right-click, declare war, and, you know, be done with them if I choose to do that. But uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Minus? Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on what Joppa said about faction or about any of Neff's uh, suggestions? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in the one part that you said you can't wait to declare war on your supposed friends. Yeah, me neither, oddly <laughs> enough, huh? right? Um, okay, fun. yeah, right? <clears throat> um, so, <laughs> you know, a um, couple things. Uh, one of the first uh, commenters actually was talking about how they liked the first and second, but not the prove your allegiance part. And it's interesting because they said that, like, factions should be semi-passive. And then they, they had a statement that said, it's how you're perceived by others, not through your actions, by, but, what they've asked, um, but not what they've asked you to do. Actually, I right. disagree with that. Mm. I think a combination of that is, is intuitive. Like, okay, who is this guy? We don't know. Go, move along. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, you go and you kill all these orcs, right? And they're like, huh, this guy's been killing a lot of our enemies. Let's figure out what he's all about. Like, hey, go do this little thing for us. Okay. Mm. It's, it's kind of like when you're in a job. <laughs> like you yeah. do grunt work, you work your way up the ladder. Um, I think that the combination of the passive and then actively seeking these quests is even what EQ used to do. Let's be honest. That was kind of how that worked too. Mm -hmm. oh, um, totally. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of disagree that those are tied together and that it should be separate. Cause I feel like mm -hmm. 
I definitely feel like those things make sense, I guess. Yeah. 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 It would be too hard if it was like no killing involved, right? If it was, if, if it was just based on tasks or um, things you've done from like a storyline perspective, there's always got to be that killing and um, working on your faction from a, you know, we, we use the word grind sometimes and, and in EQ, you definitely did the grind for faction to get things done that you needed to do. So um, yeah, you're right. It is like a job too. You know, I, I always, uh, I'm always working on my faction at work, right? <laughs> I'm always trying to make myself not kill on site to my boss, but uh, some days are better than is, others. Yeah. My faction is not great at work right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little too feisty. Um, yeah. I, I did want to bring something up that's interesting though, because like you're talking about like, you know, playing the factions and, you know, this slippery slope of like, don't go too far down and so you can mm-hmm. work your way back up and you can use it to your advantage. You know, being a rogue, one of the things, and I don't, I don't know if a lot of people have seen this, but one of the descriptors on the old website, and it might be on the new one, the rogue was that they were considered the faceless affairs of nations. So it it made me think of that right away, like as a rogue, like these people in the shadows who help political gain and have this influence, but no one knows it's them. And then I thought about that whole like faction back and forth, playing both sides, you know, being a traitor. I was like, man, that's totally me in my class. (laughs) I love that too. That that's awesome that you remembered that. And that it, I think it was the, um, one of the signature characters stories, um, Janisova is all sort of about that. It's very, very cool. And, and yeah, you're right. That's a great bring up. Yep. So um, yeah, what do I you think, think what? what do you think about the irreversible part? I'm just curious as to whether you think you should be able to permanently damage, like you can never get it back. So immersion fans would say you should, you should have that penalty, right? Like if you go kill the king of a city or something, why would they ever like you again? But I think there still has to be a game to it. So I, I'm not super into permanent or screwed right. forever on your character. Because who knows what's going to come in a future expansion? Like, are you going to ruin five expansions worth of content because you made a bad decision? Yeah. Like, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't like Fair that. Enough. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little, t- a little dangerous to do that. Okay, so uh, introductions for the week. We just had one and it came from CD. He said, uh, or she, I don't know. They said, uh, hey, everyone. I've been following Pantheon since 2018, and I finally decided to move forward with a pledge. I'm a fairly hardcore gamer, and I'm very familiar with EQ from Vanilla through to Velius. Uh, The raid scene in Project 1999 uh, Blue burnt me out quickly enough, though. I've played a ton of WoW Classic uh, last year solely as a gnome mage without much left to do. So can't wait to get started with Pantheon and hopeful for its success. So cheers, CD, and welcome. Um, I wanted to point out a resource, somebody on the forums and on Reddit, uh, was cross posted there, uh, Malak failure, put on them, uh, a spreadsheet listing the armor and weapons that are available to each class in accordance with the uh, recently upsta- updated class pages on the website. And, you know, if, if you're like me, like it's, it's helpful to always see a laid out like that, like in sort of a visual, uh, learning kind of way gives you an easy way to compare the classes. Um, So I put a link to that in the description um, in the video as well as in the show notes. Uh, So if you want to check that out, Um, but uh, yeah, well done, Malak Felia. Really appreciate you doing that. And then last but not least, um, I have to give congrats to uh, Rewind listener uh, Odd Bunny. He was the one who won the Watchers Pledge that we gave away, that we gave away last week during the uh, premiere. This was a this was a huge thing. We had 31 people uh, who uh, threw their names in the hat for this, and the uh, the internet uh, gods favored Odd Bunny that day. 
And um, it was, it was, uh, I was like writing names down like a madman during the, during the premiere to try and track all these names and make sure I got them entered. And uh, yeah, no, so he was the one that, uh, that got it uh, that day. And I want to thank Zerg Dirk as well. He helped me with this little bit, sort of facilitating this, communicating with VR to get this thing done. And um, so congrats again and stay tuned because we've got more giveaways planned for down the road. So, uh, and yeah, we'll leave it at that for this week's community discussions. Let's talk content creator updates and new additions to Pantheon.plus. All right. In this section, we kind of talk about what's going on at Pantheon.plus, um, talking about recent videos, schedules for the community, etc. So, and, and you know what the content creators are doing. So let's start with added content on Pantheon.plus. And there was a lot of content last week, so let's just jump right to it. So Bazgrim put out a quick Baz flash discussing details of the next PA5 shakeout taking place, uh, you know, as you listen like live right now, that's happening. Um, but starting <laughs> yesterday and concluding today. Um, so you can check that out uh, if you want a quick update on sort of what it's all about and, and what testers will be facing. There's little things that, that were announced in detail wise there. Uh, Nathan put out two videos last week. The first one discussed his feelings on the idea of Pantheon having a free trial period. Um, you know, sort of for new players to get an idea of what Pantheon's all about, especially because it's going to be a little different from what's out there right now. It's a little more challenging. So this was met with a, a lot of varying opinions to the community, but it is worth noting that this is something that even Ben, uh, I'm sorry, uh, even Brad and Ben and Joppa all talked about in the past. Um, so I don't know where they stand with it right now, but I just, you know, it's, it's been in comp, it's been something they've been contemplating for a bit, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you kind of want to get Nathan's view on it, check out that video. Um, you get his idea on what he thinks it would do for the game or the community. His second video was a little more of a fun video. One of the, uh, crazy mind of Nathan Napalm style videos. <laughs> um, he makes you laugh as he starts talking to future Pantheon players in something that he considers like a little time capsule that, you know, and, and he's talking to the players who are playing in the game and, if you're looking for just a smile or to laugh a little bit, you know, while we're all waiting, it's it's a really good time. It's funny. It's not too long. So check that out. Um, Pantheon Plus had a lot of content go out this week. So to begin with, we saw our first ever Pantheon profiles uh, from Drac. Um, these were uh, highlighting community members, Ten and Ellerin. And he, he used to do the written blog based ones, which he, I believe he's still going to do in the future once our, our sections are up. But he actually put them in a video format. And I got to tell you, like, he doesn't make videos and it was pretty well done. Like I enjoyed the whole format of it. It's simple. It's to the point. It's not very long. And yeah, they're, they're great. He, uh, I really like how he did it. I mean, he uses, I like hearing people's voice. I mean, I have to admit, you know, when you get people out from behind the keyboard and you get them talking, that's what I like. And, you know, you hear, you hear 10 and you heard Ellerin both tell stories of, you know, their, their, their experiences with MMOs and great, great stories. So I really enjoy what he's doing there. Yeah, it's a really cool like concept for again, you know, community, which we talk about all the time. Uh, yeah. Theric, you put a video out in your Perception and Pantheon series. Um, you gave players a guided tour through Thronefast. Um, now, <laughs> I I personally enjoy the hell out of these videos, and and I've said this a ton of times, but the video you did like this for Black Rose Keep was probably one of my favorite videos you ever did. So if you guys haven't yeah. seen that one, check it out. But definitely check out the new Thronefast one. That's always my goal. Whenever I'm making a new video, I'm like, is this as good at the, as the Black Rose Keep one? Will Minus enjoy this one as <laughs> the Black Rose Keep one? But yeah, that Throne Fest video was pretty fun to do. It um, it was uh, sitting for a long time. I'd had it done for a while and we just sort of waited on it. And it was nice to finally get it out the door. So I, I gotten lots of positive feedback. So I'm glad you guys liked it. 
Yeah, I mean, it took off huge and people are really excited to step foot in that city because of the tour you gave them. So really cool stuff. If you guys haven't seen that, check it out. Um, so we also did a, uh, like a potpourri version episode of Pantheon plus you. We've never really done that before, but we kind of just talked about like all the crazy stuff that's been going on in the month, like the website update, like the class changes, the PA five story we gave out, you know, packs, um, you know, PA five in general. And we had a uh, Nafel join us for that. Um, who also announced that, you know, they're joining us. So we're going to have uh Pantheon mm-hmm. crafters. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but um, so it was just, it was a cool, uh, Pantheon plus we had a good crowd. We had a really good green room. So we spent a lot of time in the green room. Um, so if you haven't seen that, that'll be up on demand this weekend. So just check for YouTube or you can uh, check it out on Twitch. So what is being worked on? That's the second part we usually talk about here. So, um, we've talked a little bit about it previously, but our main page is coming along really nicely. So we've changed the format of the whole site up quite a bit so that you get to see the newest content, uh, easily, regardless of like what creator makes it. And this is going to be huge when it comes to article submission and being able to stay up to date with the newest content that's out there. And while it's not live yet, it's pretty much complete. And the only reason we're not live with it is because we just want to wait to get articles done. So we just throw that in there and have a one-time update. Um, So, you know, Burris, who's our new front-end developer, he's working really hard on that piece. He's been updating me every day. We are are really fast progressing finally. And Poiru's been working on uh, some of the back-end stuff, but he's also now revamping our class page as well for easier navigation. So when we do put this next phase out, it's you guys should see quite a bit of streamlining, a little bit easier use, and hopefully some more uh, fun details to check out on there and a reason to kind of engage people and, and talk. So fingers crossed on that. <laughs> yeah. So the last piece we usually do in this section is other news from us. What's going on? What are we doing out there? Um, so again, the huge piece of news that we just talked about was Nafel and the Pantheon Crafters team joining forces and becoming part of Pantheon. Plus. So I just wanted to take a minute here. It's not super long, but Nathel put out a forum post on um, Pantheon Crafters. And I'm just going to kind of read you what he said, because I think he sums it up really well on like why we're doing this and and what the goal is. So let me just read you his post. Here we go. So he says, when we first set up Pantheon Crafters, we had the idea that it would be many things, a hub for community discussion, a resource for players who are participating in crafting and gathering and a place for us to bring forward the best ideas around crafting and gathering to support the ongoing development of Pantheon. This fall, we're planning to merge websites, and we have Pantheon Crafters now becoming a core part of Pantheon Plus or Pantheon Plus. Um, this is not us throwing in the towel. Rather, this is us joining forces with their team to take the initial vision even further and give us a little, a lot of cool new capabilities. So just some things that they kind of highlight here. He said, after the merge, we'll be able to post blog-style articles and highlight them on Pantheon Plus front page. We'll also gain the capability to create and post guides, including video guides that we can begin leveraging as time goes on. Pantheon Plus will gain a backend that they can expand on for forum discussions, as well as the ability to connect a wiki module, helping the overall site become a better hub for the Pantheon community. Um, The merger will give a larger technical team because we have a bigger team in general. And we're going to bring crafting and gathering perspective to Pantheon Plus, which will help us not only reach more potential Pantheon players, but continuing to promote the vision of meaningful, engaging, and fun non-combat gameplay for Pantheon. So he does also say, you know, we're not exactly sure what the exact date when you see all these things, um, but hopefully sooner than later. So, Derek, I know you've had a really long relationship with Nafal. I'm just curious on your thoughts here about the merger um, and maybe um, with with all that you've known about what they've been doing and, and what he does for the community, could you maybe give um, the audience listening some insight on what this would mean for 
people who follow Pantheon Plus or, or go to the website once all this stuff is is going on? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, like you said, I, I've known Nafel for a while, and I've always enjoyed his um, his uh, the way he articulates things and, and his ideas in, in general. And he's he's uh, sort of the I, I would consider him the foremost expert on the crafting aspect of Pantheon. So, this is really a complementary fit for both sites. You know, it brings two communities together, right? Because Sometimes we get we get segregated into these like different communities about our, what our interests are. But when you bring those together, you get people interested in crafting who might not have been, or you get people who are just interested in the crafting aspect more invested in the adventuring aspect or other things like that. So, and in fact, somebody asked me actually this week, like in re- in light of the recent announcement, you know, with this merge, um, you know, what role, if any, do you think crafters should have in like raid scene or perceived best in slot items? So it's just an example of somebody bringing you know that sphere those two spheres together. And when they meet, um, I know we've seen in some developer streams, you know, um, high-end mobs dropping rare crafting materials. So there's really going to be a need for this kind of a resource that can deliver both aspects. And I think this is a really exciting thing. And I can't wait to see what Nafel and his team, you know, bring into this and what this sort of looks like at the end uh, when the sites fully merge and when all the features are sort of functional. But, um, you know, with, with, the ideas and the and the sort of vision that you and and Nafel both have, I think it. I don't see how it can go wrong. So <laughs> I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. And, and we, like I said, we kind of did that Pantheon plus you together. And you know, he knows his stuff. Uh, maybe even more than me when it comes to like the history of Pantheon, especially crafting. I think I can yeah. go toe to toe with him in in the adventure aspects and the classes <laughs> and stuff. But it's a really nice uh, fit to our team and in a side of maybe our team that was lacking a little bit with the crafting side. So, yeah, so. for sure, agreed. All right, well, that's it with what's going on at Pantheon Plus. What we're looking to do and some of our expansion plans and hopefully some really cool future stuff. Here's the mail, it never fails It makes me wanna wag my tail When it gets here, I just yell Mail! We're getting sued Okay, so again, awesome bumper Love that every time um, It's time <laughs> for the mailbox I think you might box. be the only one <laughs> No, no, definitely not Definitely not, everybody loves it Okay um, Okay, so <laughs> we'll run through some of these questions here. Um, give a couple thoughts on each one. Uh, first one comes from Lucille, who uh, is a good member of the community. And she says, something I'd absolutely love to see in Pantheon is six and 12 man encounters. Would you think these could fit into the world of Pantheon in the future? And so I was thinking about this question and, and you know, it was, she clarified that it also was, she's not talking about like instancing. She was more thinking about like, raid sizes and uh, we've had this discussion before uh you know minimum what's the maximum raid size and i think um you think about a six person uh encounter that's basically i think what you know most of the world's sort of being designed for right like it's sort of going to be the norm is the six person group now a 12 man group so you're talking about two or a 12 man uh encounter so you're talking about two full groups um i think there's some good ideas about you know uh, small raid sizes and uh, some content designed for this specifically. And I'm sure there will be some deviation like up and down in terms of like the content of where two is, you know, maybe not quite enough or maybe just a little more than you need. But um, it's an interesting question. And I think that uh, there's interesting design that can go on there too. But uh, what do you think about that one? Um, yeah. Six man is, is obviously going to have encounters cause that's the dungeon group size, you know? And, yeah. And uh as far as raid encounters go, you know, it's, it's a combination of things. Like we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, when you need that raid group, is it just to take the boss down? 
Like, can you have a six man group who makes it to the boss, but just isn't strong enough to take the boss down? Or is the trash that's around the enemy, you know, does that require all those groups to break it apart and control it? You know, there's a lot of interesting things we have to think about because let's say the boss took, you know, 40 people, but everything around it with 12 people, you could clear out and farm like, you know, rare drops and stuff like that off the trash mobs or like mini bosses and stuff. Um, right. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that exactly plays out. Like when you go into a raid zone, um, is it all scaled to 40 or are there going to be small groups in there camping, small areas? Um, right. It's really interesting to kind of think of how that's going to play out. I'm not really sure where, where VR is going with that yet. Um, but I think mm. they've said what you have six man groups for like dungeons and regular stuff. And then there were two raid sizes. I thought, was it 24 and 40? Hmm. You know, what's a good question. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think that was it. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was 24 and 40 because everyone was real weirded out by the 40. It's like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cause it was a off the six. Yeah. It wasn't a multiple of six. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a good point though. I didn't think about that, but you're totally right. Okay. So next question comes from our buddy JJ and I'll try to uh, reword it here a little bit because it's a little bit long, but he says sometimes an MMO will build uh, the players around the game. For an example, constantly changing classes, abilities, systems, that kind of thing, rather than actually expanding the game and they lose some identity for what the game is known for. With what you've seen in Pantheon thus far, how important do you feel it is for VR to continue building the game around the players? In other words, would you prefer a system where you keep everything you've earned across the lifetime of the game and have future content built around that level of player power? I'll let you go first on this one. What do you think? I think my answer might shock people here. Um, I like when classes change. Um, Okay. So so hear me out on this. So, you know, I played WoW for 14 years. um, And I played Paladin in every, every walk of it. I've played Paladin in some way, shape, or form. If for 14 years my paladin played pretty much the same, that would be boring. Hmm. Um, it was exciting to get new gear that changed how I played or my abilities changed or a new talent set came up. Um, you know, in this game, it could be a new mastery set that kind of changes your play style. Um, that kind of thing to me keeps me excited to play my my quote unquote main. Um, and it, it teaches me a new way to play. If what I learn in the first vanilla Pantheon in a rotation or the way I play is viable for, you know, 70 years. That's boring. Um, Mm. not having to challenge myself to learn my class better or to learn a different way to play or adapt to a new expansion. Um, I, I like the challenge and change. I mean, wow, did it a lot. Wow. Did it where, you know, in a tier of rating, when you had the gear sets, you would get a set of gear and it would completely change how your abilities worked because all of a sudden certain abilities were better that you didn't use before. So you'd put on that set of gear and then you'd redo your entire toolkit and you were playing the game completely differently. Um, and it would do that every raid tier. And it was really exciting because you'd go into a new raid, you thought you were really strong and you get these new setups. You're like, oh my God, this is so much cooler. Um, so it's, it's, hmm. I like really interesting. I like that we change a bit and I don't know if that fits in Pantheon. I don't know. I'd be very curious to ask Joppa that question to be completely honest. But Mm -hmm. I think that when my class, when I have to relearn aspects of my favorite class, it's like falling in love all over again. And sure there's some frustrations, but that's also what falling in love is like. (laughs) So, (laughs) But that's, that's that's my piece on it. Yeah. That's my piece. Yeah. I kind of took the opposite approach. 
Um, and I, I understand what you're saying. And I kind of, I've, I've kind of swayed a little bit just hearing you say that. But what I said, you know, I think is class design, when it's at the core of your game, it should really be one of those things that changes the least. Um, you know, people put a lot of thought into their class choice. I think it's one of the things that hooks people in and grounds them in the game. And when that gets fundamentally changed, now, fundamental change and variation are two different things, right? I know what, you know, we it doesn't have to be one or the other. But even some of the slightest changes, sometimes it's hard to keep it in the spirit of the way the class was you know, built or way that what the identity of the class is. So when you have the option to, instead of changing class, change the content around them and you, you can change how the class plays by building different content around them. I think you, I think that's probably the better way to go in my mind, at least. Um, I don't want to see people lose connections with their class just because, um, you know, for the sake of keeping it fresh and interesting, they, they feel that they need to add new abilities or take some abilities away or change how an ability works. Um, if you've got really good class design to begin with, I think you can, I think you can stay pretty, you know, close to that path and then build the world out instead of the player. But that's a great question by JJ. I didn't know you were going to take that approach. And I think that, um, I think that your answer is, is very, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of temptation for me to agree with that too, but, um, interesting one. Okay. On to the next question. This comes from, uh, Errol, Errol, oh my gosh, I'm going to oh. butcher her name. Arinellis, Arinellis, and we played with her in Vanguard just on Monday. We were we were in a group. She was in. She was my my yep. uh, tank for my group, so I should know how to pronounce her name. Yeah, anyway, we were racing about- to content. She was faster than my giant, so she was like beating me across the bridge <laughs> with my. It's funny. Yeah, she's pro. So uh, anyway, she says in EQ there were very there were a few areas where the ice was actually slippery. I have a fond memory of venturing into one such place, though I can't remember what it, the name of it was, and having people slip off the edge of the ramp or the pathway and fall down to their death. Um, I've missed lower something. Lower guck. Ah, oh, lower guck. Oh, well, lower guck. Was it slippery there or was it just like narrow? Because no, there was a I, slippery area where you fall into the water. It might actually have been an upper guck to find your path down to lower guck and you could fall in the water. And then they were right. like, it, it was awful. We were playing recently and everyone fell in there. And one person drowned because they couldn't figure out how to swim up and down. <laughs> yeah, no, and that happened to the best of us for sure. And and Erin Ellis just finishes. She says, "I, you know, it's something I've missed is the simple uh, slippery ice in a game where I where I uh, played, and that's something that uh, she enjoyed. Should VR incorporate this into Pantheon, perhaps even expand on it?" And so this is a great question. And I was, I, when she asked this, I, uh, it, it was Velcator's Labyrinth in EQ that had those <laughs> slippery, stupid ramps, right? They were crazy. And, and, you know, while I admit that I like the realism of it in practice, I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, it was just a pain in the butt. Um, you know, like we're going to have enough to worry about with climates and acclimation, <laughs> you know, to, to, we're going to be burning, freezing, you know, toxic, you know, all these different climates. And then to have to sort of like, do a little platforming as well with your slippery walking. You know, that bridge that goes into Amber Fate, they've shown it on the streams a couple of mm-hmm. times. Can you imagine like sliding, like doing like a run up towards that and just sliding down the whole thing? I mean, it would be kind of fun, but I think I'd probably not enjoy it after the first time. So it might be fun, you know, it might be fun to push your, your rogue friend off that icy ledge once in a while, but I don't want to think, I don't think I want to see this in the game. Um, so I think I, I'm almost hundred percent certain it's been said this stuff will be in game. Oh, really? Why did yeah. I not remember that? And okay. like, so um, they kind of were hinting at it like during the co-stream when he was trying to um, jump the platforms and the wind was blowing him off and like the, he couldn't stay on the surface. 
and they've talked about like intangible ground. Um, and they've talked about needing certain climbing gear, possibly if it's icy or it's harder to climb, you may need certain stuff. So I, I think this is, I almost want to say this has been confirmed by Joppa in some sense. Like, I don't know to the, what level it's going to be, but I think it Hmm. ties perfectly into climates. Like if it's a ice climate, there should be some icy floor for sure. Oh, it's interesting. We'll have to look into that. We'll have to follow up on that at some point. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Did you want to say something about that? Ping Joppa and annoy him, but no, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe at some point we will. Uh, So next question um, came from John Wayne. He said, uh, should there be skills that are locked behind high-end content? like the best of the best, so to speak. And I've got a really simple answer for this. And that's definitely yes. Um, carrot on the stick has to mean something, right? Like keep it, um, thing to keep in mind is that those skills, you know, they'll be attainable through other means. You know, if you can't do that, if you can't get them through adventuring, you know, you have to buy them on the marketplace or through your guild or whatever, maybe, but yeah, we definitely need those things. And, uh, I think I heard you agree with me, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Like I, you know, I don't even care if it's not able to be bought on the marketplace. Like let's say there's a boss that, you know, drops a wizard spell and when that's active content, you know, maybe only, you know, 50% of the wizards actually have that spell. And if you group with someone who has, it's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I think that adds some uniqueness to the player to have that skill set to get it. And sure, everyone who can't get it's going to be upset, but well, oh, well, this isn't a hand-holding game. This isn't, there's no participation trophies in Pantheon, I don't think. so. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and as content becomes dated and people become stronger, then you can go get it. You're not going to not have it forever, but you may not have it at the beginning. And that, I think that's fine. Sure, of course. Yep. Okay, so a couple more quick ones here. Uh, Lafayette said, um, would you be supportive of a soft launch of Pantheon where certain pledges had early access, like prior to official launch? And why or not? Why or why not? So what do you think about that one? Uh, the, the part of me that, especially the old me that wanted to get in early and wanted to be ahead would have said, heck yeah. Like I was in the Rift early start. I was in a few, I was in quite a few early starts. Uh, for this game, no, I don't want it. Um, being that it's going to be a, like a, a niche crowd and it's going to maybe be a smaller crowd, although who knows? I think this game's going to be a lot bigger than most people thought it was going to be at the beginning. Um, I kind of want to step into the world with everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I said no for the same reason. I don't want to divide the community. Um, you know, it, it, it sometimes it could create that ill will a little bit right from the start. You know, it's important for a community-centric game where people want to be part of the community don't feel like second-class citizens right off the hop you know and um feel like other people are getting ahead so yeah no it's a no for me too so and then last question from marks he asked aoe tanking the good the bad and the ugly um personally i'm on the fence one thing that bothers me about it is when a game gives all the dps some kind of multi-target damaging abilities but then leaves the tanks unable to hold aoe aggro um so, you know, I think it's it's kind of a good thing. I think probably it's necessary here. Um, I know that there are some abilities that do that kind of spread out damage. And I'm not sure, and you might know more than better than I, but don't warriors have something like this? Like they have AOE effects through their banners, I know. I don't know if one of yeah. those is like a taunt banner, but um, I can't imagine there's not some way to draw a taunt over an area of effect, right? Yeah, and I don't think it's a bad thing either. So... There's a big difference between AOE tanking and just AOEing down everything, right? So, yeah. like, if if a warrior's geared up well and they have the right skill set to be really damage absorbs them, but don't do much damage, you know, it's, they're really just full-on tank. Um, and they can hold, like, let's say three enemies. They jump in, they AOE tank them, they're holding them, they're tab-targeting across them to hold the aggro. 
but you know, the group's not necessarily AOEing everything down. They're still like, okay, well, first kill this, you know, wizard, and then we're gonna switch over to, you know, the rogue, and then we'll kill the warrior. So, you know, the the warrior who's tanking is is tab targeting, keeping aggro, and uh, you know, keeping the other enemies off the healer while DPS is focusing down specific targets. That's phenomenal gameplay. Um, I don't think that is, you know, everyone's fear, I think, with AoE tanking again is like the wow method of run in, pull the whole group, AoE it all down, move to the next group. AoE tanking does not necessarily have to be tied to AoE destruction. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So so I like it. I like the idea of that, um, you know, obviously depending on the mobs. But uh, I, I would love to, if I was going to tank, I'd love to be able to hold two or three enemies and, and hold mm-hmm. them, you know, with heals, people healing me like crazy, using some mm-hmm. cooldowns, especially until we get that first one down. But I think that that's fun tanking gameplay because it, it, tanking is, is in itself so important and usually games are lacking tanks. Like, don't make yeah. it super boring. Like, tanking one enemy is okay and it's, it's all right if you have, like, interrupts and you're doing stuff. But where the fun comes in for a tank is managing multiple mobs and doing stuff like that. So uh, you wouldn't really want to take that away, in my opinion. Uh, no, that's a really good answer. That comes from years of experience, you can tell. <laughs> so right on, man. And that's that's the uh, that's a mailbag this week. So, yeah, that's it. Well, awesome show again. Thank you for everything you do. Uh, last week was insane. I hope uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed <laughs> this episode. It's more of a standard episode for us, but still I mean, I got to say, we've done, uh, this will be episode 24, and there's always a lot to talk about with Pantheon, and we hope that you guys find that, you know, source of when you're sitting there waiting for more and you want more, you know, join us, chat, ask questions, we'll we'll do our best to answer them or find the answers for you, but uh, thank you again for hanging out at the Rewind this week, and uh, we'll see you next week on episode 25. Yep. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Pantheon Plus Rewind. Be sure to follow Minus and all Pantheon Plus related content on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube under the name Pantheon Plus. Also, be sure to follow Theric at Pantheon Theric on Twitter. Keep up to date on all Pantheon Rise of the Fallen information on www.pantheon.plus, the definitive source for all media of Pantheon. Until next time.